What does it take to turn your back on the life you've lived, pick up the past, bundle it up and throw it away because you know it's not good for you? How hard is it to walk away from the deep trauma that drove you off the straight and narrow and then try to begin again back in the mainstream? Who can help you do that? Where do you turn? And what does it take to change your life? Today on the Philanthropy Australia podcast, we're looking at a unique program called the Women Transforming Justice Project. It aims to reduce the number of women getting caught in the Victorian prison system by providing women-specific legal representation and intensive outreach support to those on remand to help them find a safe place in their community. Don't be fooled. This is not an issue belonging to the few. The pilot project exists because there are more women in the Victorian prison system than ever. One fact proves the point. The number of women in Victorian prisons has grown by 140% in the past decade. Changes to the bail laws in 2017 and 2018 have swept up more women into the justice system, denying many of them bail for relatively minor offences and putting them behind bars. Even a short prison stay can imperil the basic structure of a woman's life, her family, her house, her job, and all her support services. Some of those women have found their way to the Women Transforming Justice Project, and in particular its leadership group, that seeks to build a network of criminalised women peer supporters and advocates to give advice and to develop and deliver the project's advocacy agenda. Central to those goals is the women's recognition of the power of their lived experience to become the basis of a new kind of life. The project not only gives the women in the leadership group a special community, but also the affirmation of a future that doesn't need to be hostage to their past. Now it's their turn to tell their stories. So I started using drugs at um, 13, um, heroin, and that started because I had an older boyfriend that was already using. Um, Pretty much my addiction was straight away. I then started to get in trouble with the police probably when I was around 16. I did my first jail sentence in 2008 when I was 18 turning 19. When I first started going to jail, it was just theft, like um, shop theft and stuff like that. Um, I ended up doing 12 months my first jail sentence. I then um, got out, started using again and... um, from me going to jail, like, I actually learned a lot. Like, I came out more of a criminal than I was when I, when I went in there. I, um, so pretty much that's when my jail started. And, like, for the next 10 years, I was pretty much in and out. But my charges started to get heavier and heavier. Like, it, I started off with shop theft and then slowly, I, you know, it was possession of heroin. Next thing you know, it was trafficking and then actually got, like, commercial trafficking. Like, it just, yeah, it got bigger. This is Lisa, not her real name. As you've heard, she's had a life most of us have no conception of. Her experiences are the kind of horrors you want to save your children from, but they do happen. And it seems they initially happen by accident and then habits of all kinds start and sometimes stay. Lisa's experience with the prison system is more extensive than most of the women in the project, but it's not a competition. It doesn't take too long for the women to say they all share the same story, regardless of how much time they've spent in the system. 
Project coordinator Laura Button has seen up close how corrosive that prison experience can be. I, I think that the consequences for women have been devastating. I think that we are seeing women refused bail, in many cases treated in, you know, patronising, pathologising ways by courts, and that there is a gendered side to the decision-making. So often, you know, women who might be experiencing homelessness or housing instability are refused bail under the under this idea that women will be safer in prison. Um, there also seems to be, I guess, this view placed on women that their decision-making is coming under a different level of scrutiny. So, like, for example, if a woman is a mother, she might be viewed very differently to a man who is a father. So she is kind of on the receiving end of this double punishment. So she's judged for her so called offending behaviour, but then her motherhood is also judged in that same, same moment. Laura has spent almost 12 months with this small group of women, exploring ways for them to rebuild their lives. Most of them have lost touch with their families. All of them have been exposed to trauma of one kind or another. My name's Liz. My story is I had a drug addiction for 14 years. And along with that, you know, I went through family violence. I went through homelessness, a lot of trauma and a lot of crime. Uh, violence is a part of my story. I'm quick to violence in active addiction, you know, and I'm um, just living in that survival mentality on the streets and in the drug world, you know. Um, it's not a pretty picture. Um, you know, like I grew up in an aggressive family, um, a bit violent to an extreme, um, lot of, not a lot of emotional support. And I think, you know, like I carried that on into my teens and into my adulthood as well, and the drugs just escalated it. There will be plenty of people who think that it's inevitable that Liz's circumstances would have a criminal outcome. It's supposedly the trajectory of trauma, violence and addiction. But what if it's not? What if the outcome is a reflection of something more fundamental, like the profound battle for survival? Laura Button certainly thinks that's the case. In my experience, the courts are also failing to understand how women end up there in the first place. And then when you speak to women um, who are in that situation, you find a history that's just completely surrounded by trauma and violence that's been inflicted on them, sometimes from when they were children all the way through to their adulthood, that women don't just get up and decide. And just This isn't just about bad decision-making. Hmm. This is about survival for many women. How do, you, how do you survive on you start and feed your children without you know, having to steal, having to do things that if you were, were adequately resourced, you would never do. So there is this failure to understand that for many of these um, offences that women are brought up on charges for, these are actually also acts of survival or negotiating the world they live in. Mm. Um, so I would say that the effect has been devastating because it means that women are unable to um, in many cases, exercise agency over their own lives and that their um, experiences of violence and trauma are, are not addressed. They're actually exacerbated by the conditions of incarceration. I do, you know, take full responsibility mm. and, you know, I know my part in that. But I just feel like, you know, if I was given 
a different avenue from the beginning, it would have changed things. Mm. Um, but because, you know, I had been labelled, and I mean, like, you know, from, an, from the outside, you know, I'm a very privileged person. I am white. I have, um, you know, umpteen amount of financial stability. Um, you know, I've, you know, it would never present that I am a criminalised woman. Um, but yet in the workforce, even though I've got certificates and, and things like that, it's really hard to, to move forward in life. And I think that, you know, in this day and age, money is a huge driver for anything. Privilege, of course, has little to do with it. Social prestige, the well-paid job in the nice house, and not the protections they might seem to be. What matters is the relationships you have the family who we expect to sustain us through our life and the friends we believe will nourish us along the way. And as one of the women in the project explains it, my whole life I've been around people who've told me they're my friends, but they want to use me for something, like more of a transaction than a relationship. The cost of the primary relationships breaking down is incalculable. Most of the women in the program are trying to rebuild those vital relationships with their children and their own parents after their kids were taken away from them because of their situation? Yeah, I think my relationship with my ex-fiancé, I was in extreme violent relationship, you know. Um, that was horrific. And on top of that, the drug use too. That was the worst, those two factors. Um, also, there was so many points, you know, like I kept hitting rock bottoms and then another rock bottom and then another one, um, you know, getting homeless, getting decided by the family. Um, when the money starts running out, that was stressful too, Um but definitely being like homeless, not having anywhere to live and just bouncing around from place to place. At such a low point, it seems almost impossible to consider a better and safer future. Sarah was in remand at the Dame Phyllis Frost Centre in Melbourne's western suburbs for 40 days, initially 10 days and later another 30 before being bailed to a rehabilitation facility. Really, I didn't know anything else. I didn't know any better. I didn't have the support and the love and the nurture and stuff like that that a lot of people get to help them through the journeys. Like, I was trying to find my way so much on my own, you know, and I found myself in a in a path that I didn't know how else to get out of. I did traffic drugs. I trafficked drugs because I didn't want to sell my body because of all the sexual abuse and stuff that I've been through and experienced. I didn't feel comfortable with that. So selling drugs to me was I get to support my habit and I get to make some money and continue to support my habit. That's what it was, continue to support my habit. But, like, doing that, it was, it was not because, you know, I look back now and I think, what was I doing? Like, I feel really bad for the community. I feel bad because I did I got caught drug driving a few times and even, like, the recent stuff that happened with those poor little children mm. in Sydney. Like, I, mm. I feel sad and I feel really bad because I think... Now, there was me driving around in drugs, you know, and I feel really guilty about that stuff. But, like, but I can see that now. At the time, I didn't see that. But I see that now. You know, I, like, I have a lot of remorse and a lot of, um, you know, I don't want to, I want to, that's not me naturally. There's no accounting for those moments of insights, those epiphanies when things suddenly seem to make sense. One of the women remembers sitting in the foyer at Dame Phyllis Frost, being handed her uniform and spotting a lone bird outside. It landed in the concrete yard and then flew off. She got changed, went outside, felt the sun and wind on her face and cried. 
She knew then what she had to do to rebuild the central relationship in her life with her young son, and that was to get off drugs. You're going from one institution to another, but I think um, for me it was really because um, being clean and sober, like a lot of my emotions that I, I buried, like were surfacing. So I was learning a lot more about myself and, you know, there were times when I just didn't want to face it, but like I knew I wanted better for my life. So I stayed and, you know, did the hard yards there. But trying to find a way back towards a more normal life after that kind of experience is incredibly difficult. One of the problems has been what is known as spent convictions legislation, which up until February, Victoria remained the only state which didn't have a law that gave those with a criminal record the opportunity to seek work without their previous convictions being available to the prospective employer. The Andrews Labor government acted on a parliamentary report advocating an end to spent convictions earlier this year and has promised to consult all stakeholders on the shape of the final legislation. So the debate now will be about how far back the convictions will go. But in the interim, it's still a problem. Just recently, last week, I've applied for a volunteer position, but they require a place check. Um, I have also got on my record um, weapons and ammunition charge. So, you know, that would perceive me to be a gun-swindling lunatic. But I have a rusty bullet from a friend's farm and uh, it was a little flick knife. So, you know, I've been painted to be what it absolutely was not. Um, And, you know, for that to be now on my record um, is a huge, huge barrier. That's why this program is so important, to help the women find a way back from where they've come. Some have reached this destination from drug rehabilitation programs, including Odyssey House, and are now drug-free. Some have embraced Christianity, and now they're focused on using their experience to help make a difference. But no one should think any of that is easy. I didn't know how to have relationships or, you know, conform to society in a normal manner. And everything felt really odd and uncomfortable to me. There was just so much fear. Um, Mm -hmm. And I think the fear comes from shame, guilt and, you know, um, being really self-critical of, you know, I know who I, what I've done in my life and I don't agree with what I've done with my life. And, you know, and um, then to be moving in society, although they don't know, I know. So it was, you know, it was a huge barrier to overcome. And um, I think that's another thing. Like, I would hope that there are some employees out there that would give criminalised people an opportunity. I think people need to know that criminalised people think they have something to prove. Mm. They would be the best workers. What is it you want to prove? Um, I think I want to prove to myself that I can be of service. I've realised that I've got a lot of power with my lived experience. You know, that um, no no one, like, you know, you may be able to lose your financial stability or your employment, but no one can take my lived experience away from me. So I feel like, you know, I've got a real sense of power now of how I can use my past as a positive. Thank you.
In one way, it is the desire to use their experience that unites the women in the program, but it's also something more instinctive and collaborative too that underpins the group, a shared trust and a search for a healing, no matter how long it takes. It gives me purpose, honestly. Um... I feel like it's helped me with employment. Like employment was a really big thing. Mm. Like coming, you know, from the background that I have, like getting a job is really hard. So I feel like this group has actually, you know, um, I've got my foot in the door with employment. Mm. Yeah. I don't know how long this is going to go for, but, you know, afterwards, you know, I really would like to work in the community um, sector. Yeah. yeah, we have friendship, you know. Mm. We all have the same... Um, story pretty much you know the drugs and the crime and um it makes us like a distinct type of person you know like we um we talk about things that would might shock other people but for us like it's just normal um we're there for each other we actually care for each other if someone doesn't come to work we check in on that other person you know like um yeah we love each other and um, we're a group of women that's really beautiful because in um, my active addiction i didn't like women at all i hated them and um i love women now um I guess they're a threat and also there's a lot of ego attached with women in, in the drug world. Um, you know, like I tended to stick around a lot of guys and um, I was a tomboy so I hated girls. But, you know, like that's just a stuffed way of thinking and today like I love women, you know, and like mm. um, I'm a sponsor today too to some, some women Terrific. and um, it's beautiful. The women have already taken their reflections to a broader public when they presented a conference paper on the project in Darwin in June 2019. Even during the pandemic, the women remained in touch, supporting each other and being connected, some of them writing articles for publication, others appearing on panel discussions. For Laura Button, the weekly catch-up with the women has revealed something unique. They have this real, you know, a very deep and very radical care for each other. Um, and a, a big part of our work is centred around making sure that people feel safe together and that, um, you know, the project workers support their safety and their wellbeing in every way that we can. Um, and so part, I think part of that connection is if someone in the group is perhaps um, struggling or something has happened for them, that we make time to support her um, and to try to make sure that she feels that um, she's still part of this group and our little community. Um, and I'm always really touched by their care to each other. It's not something I think I've really seen in any other no. space before. There are practical considerations too. For Sarah, the weekly session give her some much-needed financial support and helps get her ready for work. Whatever I earn from this four hours of work I do a week is my living money, mm. right? Like I really would like to have a job. Like, you know, like, <laughs> I want to work. I don't want this thing hanging over my head for the next 10 years, you know what I mean, or more, because I want it to be able to be so I can move forward. Because that is really holding, like, it's like having one leg forward and one leg back. Mm. You know, and, like, you, like you, I'm doing all this great stuff, you know, studying, got this lucky, like, blessed to have this, you know, being a part of this project because that's, you know, helping me in areas but also giving me an opportunity to make me feel like I'm worthy of employment. Others in the group see its benefits in a more connective way. Uh, when we first started this group, we didn't really know what we were doing and we were this disparate, loud, undisciplined group. <laughs> and um, 
maybe we still appear that way, but we've um, really come together as a group. The women, I believe, have a genuine affection and care and respect for each other and they're the things that breed trust, aren't they? Mm. You know, mm. um, we went through a stage where we had to discuss issues of trust and the politics of, you know, what's said in the room stays in the room. And so I think for a lot of the girls it's been an education, but I think it's been a really life-affirming one. It's been really beautiful to watch. For Laura, the goal of the program is clear. I feel that, yes, social change is slow, um, but if we can ensure that the voices of criminalised women are there and are being heard, we feel that this is, you know, a fundamental step towards, um, you know, helping people to understand that, that there's another side to these policies that isn't seen, that's really hidden, and that there are consequences um, to these reforms which have meant um, that there are women that are really suffering because of these, because of the reforms. And so I think although social change is slow, I feel that there are people who really want to hear what criminalised women have to say. Um, but part of that is about um, ensuring that we make space and time for the communities who are implicated by these policies and are affected by them and that their voices are centralised, you know, in any process of decision-making. Um, so although I think the Women's Leadership Group understand this very well, um, you know, we intend to ensure that um, there is a space for criminalised women to speak, to consult and to advocate. Um, and even the process of them having a space to meet every week and to be paid and to be properly honoured for their contribution and their work, I think is a fundamental first step towards that change. Nina's view speaks of something else beyond the conventional goals of a wage, some training and the eventuality of a job. It's about finding the value in their experience and to try to build something from what they've left behind. It's been really it's just been such a beautiful organic development. Mm. Um, you know, we, we all come from, sim you know, we share the same story and, um, you know, to support each other and make um, the safety. And like I was saying before, like it's like we have, you know, we've been given this opportunity so we take it wholeheartedly and we just want to show that we are able. So, you know, although we come from really traumatising backgrounds and, you know, have unseen a man of struggles from different areas in life, we're all here, we all turn up early, we all give it our all because it's like somebody cares and we've got a place now. Um, so, like, you know, I think, I think we give it more than anybody else would because, you know, it's, it's a privilege for us. Thank you.